What's happening in the canine industry? For all the latest news, views and expert opinions, stay right here for the canine paradigm. You'll hear from industry leaders, experts, doyens of the industry, learned colleagues, movers and shakers, and the odd Randy guest. Get the latest insights and expert advice from both here and abroad from the people in the know. Now, here are your hosts, Glenn Cook and Pat Stewart. And I'm Lofty Fulton, and I'm out of here. Just about ready to kick off the next show, but prior to doing that, I'd just like to send a show shout out to somebody who's been very loyal to us, Mel Plonsky. She's from WA. She's been regularly writing into us, telling us how much she loves the show, giving us great advice and feedback. Mel, really appreciate it. It's wonderful. We've got so many people who send us a nice word and interact with us on the forums. So we're going to do some show shout outs as a regular basis from here on in. Just to give us a little history on the canine paradigm, in the early days, Pat and I were sitting down to discuss what that was going to look like, how we were going to set that out. So when we were sitting down talking about the design of it, we wanted to have somebody doing the lead-in intro and some music, and then, of course, get into the show itself. So I spoke to a great friend of mine who's the voice of 2GB, lovely guy, great friend, as I said, a guy called Lofty Fulton. Lofty was on board from the start. He said, yep, I'd love to help you out. He got me into his studio at his home, and he did it in one take. We just sat there. He wrote it down, told me how it was going to go, got up in front of the microphone, and as the professional is, he belted it out. And it was just absolutely fantastic. After that, we left it to Pat to come up with the musical component, So Pat said to me, right, I've got a great idea. Here it is. What do you think? We're going to play that for you now instead of our normal musical intro. See what you think. Give us some feedback. It's the canine paradigm. It is a podcast. And it is mostly about dogs. We sing about other stuff. Whatever we feel like. And it's about to start. So listen in. Welcome back to the Canine Paradigm. I'm your host, Pat Stewart. I'm joined in studio today by my co-host, Glenn Cook. And today we have the absolute honor and privilege to have joining us via Skype from the US, Janet and Sean Edwards. Welcome to the show, guys. Thanks. Thank you. Happy to be here. Janet and Sean, you guys are both heavily involved in PSA, have been pretty much from the beginning or at least a long time in, both judges Sean, you're a decoy. You've both titled dogs up to Sean level two, Janet level three, and it's twice now, right? You're in the threes with twice the, now. Twice now, right? Yeah. And you're only one of only two people to do that. Yes. So yep. tell us a little bit about yourselves. Um, Sean, let's start with you. That uh, How did you get into dogs and how did you get involved in PSA? Okay. First, getting into dogs, I uh, kind of fell into it. It was uh, totally by accident. I... <laughs> I didn't uh, I didn't have a dog as a young child because my dad hated dogs. So when my parents got divorced, <laughs> my mom let us get a dog, which was a Shih Tzu. Oh, um, I so was wanted a German right Shepherd, the but <laughs> yeah, so it was a Shih Tzu. I was in eighth grade. So fast forward to me going into the military, and I, di- I didn't know. Well, what I, what up. age did you go to the military? Twenty. So I went to I went to college for a year and a half and I didn't really know what I was doing, you know I was kind of lost and no direction. And, and a friend of mine was in the Air Force and he kind of talked me into uh, into joining. And I was supposed to go into a program, a medical program for physical therapy, and not knowing much about the military other than what my buddy was telling me. 
yeah, I went in open general, right. <laughs> didn't know anything about that. And I got there and they laughed at me and said, you're going to be a cop or a cook. So I said, <laughs> uh, if I choose now, can I get one I want? How are those two? And they're like, yeah, sure. You could be a cop. Or I said, I'll be a cop. They said, okay, you got it. So I go Air Force Security Forces, which is basically the base police. Mm-hmm. And the first day in the the Air Force Police Academy, the canine unit came around and they did their like interviews and selection testing for it. And I made up a whole big lie about, <laughs> about how I've always wanted to be canine. And, uh, <laughs> I mean, the, the only truth to the story was my wrestling coach was a state trooper. He was a New Jersey state trooper, but I made this elaborate story up about how he, uh, showed up to the parking lot of a movie theater after, you know, uh, Friday night at the movies, and I saw him break his dog out, and the dog did a, a sniff of the vehicle, and they found the, all these drugs, and they made this arrest. And ever since then, I uh, I wanted to be a canine handler. And <laughs> anyway, that's the that's the quick version of it. But uh, I ended up getting the first first slot out of five, so nice. it worked. And so yeah, I was Air Force canine handler. You know, went to Lackland, did the patrol dog school, detection dog school. I was stationed in Shepherd Air Force Base, Wichita Falls, Texas. You yeah, know, so a, that's a, how I got my start. A lot of actual early pivotal projects in canine behavior happened at Lachlan Air Force Base. Like they are still yeah. credited with a lot of early development programs, the Superdog program, which Stephen Lindsay was involved in. So Lachlan, well, Lachlan Air Force Base actually has its fame for its developmental programs in canines. I actually found out later that Jerry is pretty good friends with Stuart Hillard. So mm-hmm. Yeah, he's I, been uh, out here before a couple of times. My sergeant in the Air Force was good friends with him as well, and it was kind of weird years down the road, you know, I hook up with Jerry Bradshaw and turns out, you know, he's actually friends with the guy too who, you know, he was part of the Super Dog program. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I never met him myself. I just knew who he was and Yeah. So how long were you in the Air Force for? 4 years. So and your dog handler basically um, well, that whole time, right? Yeah, I was uh, my basic uh, Shepherd Air Force Base was uh, it's a training base, so in reality, it was almost like policing a small town mm-hmm. with a um, like like a college campus as well. Right. So we handled like DUIs and larcenies and stuff like that, domestics, and just like any other base, we had our base entry point checks where, you know, every fifth vehicle coming in or every 10th vehicle going out, you do these, you know, this, whether it's a drug dog or a bomb dog doing the snips of the vehicles. Mm-hmm. But um, while I was there, I started to, I checked out a couple different clubs. I used to travel down to Tex, uh, Dallas, Texas with a guy, I can't remember his name. He worked for Global back in the day and he had a protection thing. So I learned a little bit of decoying from him. Um, I hooked up with a Schutzen club in Lawton, Oklahoma for a little bit, um, did a little bit there. It, most of the time I was just end up getting together with a couple of my buddies and I had my own, uh, Mal that was, uh, uh, looking back, he probably was a little bit, uh, a little nervy and not super high drive, but I, I learned a lot, mm-hmm. um, using him and yeah, he wasn't the, you know, looking back, he wasn't the best, not that I thought he was the best dog ever genetically <laughs> back then. However, you know, knowing what I know now, yeah, he was more pet quality, but mm-hmm. I put a lot of time into him, and he did a little bit of protection work and a little bit of detection as well. He was actually probably a little bit better at detection. Yeah, so 
again, messing around with some friends and a couple clubs while I was in the Air Force. And then my last year in the Air Force, I did a temporary duty with the DEA in Baltimore while I was on that temporary duty with my drug dog. Found a lot of drugs. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was, that, that in itself was a, was a pretty cool adventure. What was your biggest it bust, was, Sean? How many, like on drug detection, what was your biggest find? We had, uh, geez, in the airport, I think like largest we had at the airport was, I think it was 300 pounds of marijuana. But then um, we got a, f- uh, a few kilos of uh, cocaine. Nice. At the, uh, we, we worked at the bu- uh, bus terminal in, uh, in Baltimore and at the uh, BWI airport and once in a while, we go to a train station, but at the at the airport, it seemed like marijuana was prevalent. Mm-hmm. So how come? So the military, you were like on secondment to the actual PD, right? Did they they didn't no, have any drug? No, dogs at it was the time, actually or? the DA task force. So there were oh, okay. Baltimore police officers. There was uh, Baltimore County uh, detectives. There was DA agents. So the military will detail whether your Air Force. Uh, Marines, Army, you know, any of the canine programs, they're all kind of connected. Yeah. And at least they were. And they'll uh, they'll do these TDYs, the temporary duties, whether it's, you know, on the border in Texas, you know, several, mm-hmm. lots, lots of different yeah. locations. So that's just happens to be, I had a buddy that went to Honduras and was working in the postal office in Honduras. That was, <laughs> that's pretty crazy for him. But, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so I just, I happened to get Baltimore and I was, uh, I applied with them while I was there and, uh, yeah, <laughs> ended up staying in Baltimore. And so you left the Air Force and be- joined the Baltimore Police Department? Yep. And and how long were you on the beat there before you became a dog handler for them? It was like two and a half years. Right. Okay. So um, it was a pretty quick transition here. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I was in patrol for like about a little less than a year and then I was working in a, um, like a low level drug unit. They call it flex, but it's a cool we're just name. like low level. Yeah, <laughs> low low level drug unit. Nothing high. I mean, once in a while we got lucky and got some nice grabs, but just low level stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of like a feeder program into your the higher end drug units. But yeah, and then my lieutenant ended up getting transferred to K9, and he asked me to come with him, which I did. Awesome. And so, how long now? Twenty something years later, you you're still there. Yeah, I mean, I've been a bunch of different places throughout yeah. my career, but um, you know, I'm a sergeant now. Actually, I've been a sergeant longer than I was an officer, so I got promoted back in 2007. Yeah, I've had a bunch of different assignments, had some really fun ones. The one I'm in now isn't the best, but <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> is your role state police or military police? City police, City Baltimore police. City. Yeah. Yep. So then how did you end up getting tied up with Tar Hill and Jerry and PSA? I ended up actually hooking up with Sean Siggins and we were just doing some, uh, I think he knew, he knew a bit more than I did at the time. And he was like looking into, I think, uh, street ring and I don't know, a couple other just sports that were kind of like not taking off per se, but you know, people trying to get something together. Mm-hmm. And, um, so we were just goofing around with our dogs and just trying a few different things. And then he's like, uh, hey, you got to meet this guy, Joe Morris, who is one of the founding fathers of PSA, him mm-hmm. and Jerry Bradshaw. So anyway, we hook up with him and Daryl Ritchie, Greg Williams, Rick Furrow, 
you know, I go and watch them do the uh, level one, what was back in the day. It's changed a little bit, not too much, but a little bit since uh, since then. But see them doing the PSA one routine and or, or PSA one obedience routine. And yeah, that was the beginning. I was like, wow, I like this. I'm going to try this. And so I'm training with Joe Morris and Sean and Del Ritchie, Greg Williams and Rick Farrow. And I'm training with them for a few months and I'm like just really getting into it. And I'm finally seeing things are connecting, right? Like these guys are actually training dogs in a way where you're actually seeing some progress and things make sense. Mm -hmm. A lot, there's, there's a few things here and there that I did learn over the years. And, you know, I'm, I'm happy I've had all those experiences, but you know, there's only a handful of things that I, I was ever able to take away that like I still use today. Mm-hmm. Once I started seeing some of the things that were being the techniques that were being used for PSA, I immediately was like, all right, this like applies to most things, whether it's, you know, a personal protection dog or police. I need more. I need to know more. Yeah. So I end up getting a hold of Jerry and seeing if I can, uh, you know, how long, <clears throat> how long it take me to go down there and just learn as much as I could, <laughs> learn as much as I could and uh, get um, certification for police canine trainer. So I end up going down there for a couple months and get my um, police canine trainer certification. And yeah, while well, I was down there, when we weren't doing police dogs, we were. Uh, going to PSA trials and training PSA. Mm-hmm. So, And so when you were training with those guys earlier with Sean and Daryl and that, were you using your patrol dog to do sport type work or were you just decoying at that stage for them? No, I was actually, I actually, <laughs> it, it was really ugly, but, um, <laughs> you know, I'm going to, if Sean listens to this, he's going to kill me for saying this, but yeah, Sean back in the day was very much, uh, let's do this, get real excited about it. And then we kind of like switch things anyway. So the targeting on my dog was horrible, okay. um, <laughs> for a number of reasons, but this is your patrol uh, dog, right? Like your yeah, actual this is my, police, this dog. Is my, my police dog with four live street bites. Mm-hmm. So the, uh, you know, he, first he's upper body, then he's lower body, then he's upper body. Anyway, I'm sure you get where I'm yeah. Where I'm going with this one. It, it, once I did the, uh, I had to do PSA back in the day. It was, you could do a, a TC, which is like the BH and it was temperament control. Or if, if you got a dog and say he came over from overseas titled, or if you had an active police dog, you had to do PSA one open. Right. So I did PSA one open with him and I got through the obedience just fine. And when it got to protection, it was, as Daryl would say, you spun the wheel of death <laughs> to see where see where Barry was going to bite. And our uh, I won't say his name, but our old police canine trainer, who I really, really still dislike to this day, he, he, he encouraged dogs to transfer instead of pushing into a grip. Right. He like, yep. Yeah. So, Which still exists a fair bit in law enforcement type stuff, right? Yeah, I mean, I see it less and less, but mm-hmm. when I was at that time period, it was pretty prevalent. Yeah. So, you know, I think most people now are starting to understand what? that. Yeah, one, even just from a legal it, standpoint, it's not, it's, it's, not pro- it's not productive, and two, four holes are better than a thousand. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, he chewed up everyone. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> he, he, he bit every, both legs, both arms, front, back, everywhere. Yeah, it was pretty. It was pretty bad. But you know, it was an experience. Hey, I got out there with him. Do you know what? Uh, do you know what, Sean? There's, I guess, it could be a personal belief, but I think sometimes the first dog that you talked about that you had that wasn't much chop in protection work, but did okay in detection. I don't think it's such a bad thing not to have a super dog for your first dog when you're, when you're learning how to be a better handler or a better trainer, etc. There's two schools of thought on it. Some people say it's great to have a fantastic dog for your first dog because you can still learn. You can still learn from it in, in any direction. I found that uh, I was fortunate with my first real dog that he was a good dog. He was a crossbreed, Roddy. I was just lucky. He was just a terrific dog. However, I've had other dogs before that just haven't worked out for me, and I've still learned a hell of a lot from them. I've learned how to be a better trainer. I've learned how to be patient. I've learned how to be more skilled to try and bring uh, <clears throat> behaviors on that don't exist as natural in that dog that, that it would in another one. So in my mind, it actually enhances you as a trainer because you still have to learn how to push boundaries. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I tell people this all the time when we're training and they get worried, like I used to do with my personal dogs. But I'm like, listen, this is this is dog dog training if if you don't have obstacles to overcome you're not learning anything so like this is just all part of everything will be fine and you know what if uh if it if it takes a little bit and we have to try you know 10 different things well guess what we just got to practice some things and maybe we'll learn something new but um that's right it's part of the journey i i haven't ever had a push button dog i think all of them have had issues one way or other like so things being difficult have definitely made me a better trainer. Mm. Yeah, that's how you grow for sure. So you did your uh, police trainers course at Tar Heel and you've been a, a huge part of PSA ever since, right? Yes. I kind of took a little hiatus. There was like a two-year hiatus in uh, during the uh, PSA days. I think they were actually kind of going through a little bit of a turmoil for a little bit. But once uh, once things kind of like Jerry started taking over and – getting the ball rolling with PSA and getting the sport growing again. I jumped back in and been with it ever since. Nice. And your your dog, Stewie, that you, you went to level two with, right? Yes. And, and he was an active police dog at the same time? Yep, yep. Which I think is super cool and I think about PSA is, makes it one of the coolest sports in that it's there's not so much manufactured scenarios that it would damage a real dog you know you you hear people always want to talk about the difference between a sport dog and a street dog and that sort of thing but certainly psa is a sport where a real civil dog or just a real patrol dog doesn't have to be civil i suppose but can can actually compete and do quite well in the sport yeah i mean i trained when i was running the baltimore canine unit i trained all the dogs as if i was training for psa Mm -hmm. i mean i used all the same I used all the same techniques. There was very little difference from uh, training a sport dog than the police dog. I'd like to think that I put out a much more quality dog than they've ever had on that department, so on our department. But, um, yeah, I mean, a lot of people definitely noticed the difference when yeah. I was there training them. So the um, it's – Again, a PSA in my mind, it's all around. It could be used for whether it's police, military, sport. It's 
uh, the foundation's all the same. Yeah. I've got to tell you, when Pat came to me about the concept of PSA, he was discussing the the relevance of it and bringing it into Australia and asked if I wanted to join it. And I was I was all for it as a sport, but I thought, oh, God, do I really want to be involved in another sport? Reason being is that early in the days, I never really did anything significant with it, but I was involved a lot in Schutzen slash IPO clubs. And the one thing that I always found was the defining point which killed it for me was the politics in the sport. Whereas I'm, I'm, I, look, I'm sure they exist. I'm sure there's there's politics in PSA as well. But the great thing is, is that we have no politics in our club. We just don't tolerate any nonsense talk and kitchen bitching as such. We just want to get on with it and enjoy the sport and enjoy each other's company. If there's any issues, we hash it out right there and then and get on with it. And I, I kind of like that. But the whole concept of PSA as a sport grew on me as well. The fact that it's a relevant sport which can transfer into almost anything. I really liked the bones of it. I really enjoyed that componentry of it. That itself excited me to want to get involved in it. Yeah, I mean, it's a great sport and I'm, I'm definitely not one of those people there like it's either PSA or nothing I love PSA I think if there wasn't PSA I'd probably would have done Mondio or mm, yeah something. but to me I really love I'm pretty creative and I love creating different scenarios for especially the level three mm. so it offers a creative outlet for me whether I'm judging or decoying and I know Janet feels the same way as far as judging enjoys coming up with some fun scenarios, challenging scenarios. Let's let's speak about that creative content for a little minute there because you really push the bar in creative content and you've developed your own personal character in the PSA world. Yeah, so that's something I should have mentioned that on the introduction that we are talking to. But we can develop that as part of the story because it's a really (laughs) funny part of Sean's story. Yeah, so right now we are talking to the Deadpool decoy. That loads of people actually know of. Uh, I hear about the Deadpool decoy. You'll go, all the who's time. Sean Edwards? And I'll go, Deadpool decoy. Oh, oh, yeah. 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 So, how did that come about? How did you how did you choose that as a character? Well, I've always loved the character Deadpool. And uh, I've always actually liked Ryan Reynolds as an actor. I love, I'm, I'm pretty sarcastic myself. And most of his movies, he has a good deal of uh, sarcasm in it. Yeah, we were, it was a. Uh, regionals in new hampshire right like two years ago yeah regionals regionals i was a regional select decoy and uh going to new hampshire and i was talking to you i was like hey i think uh wearing a mask probably start freaking the dog out a little bit if they're not prepared (laughs) for it getting their head a little bit for the for the level three so um i just you know then back then i only worked during the level three yeah it's kind of evolved into something else totally but so I ordered a mask online and it kind of went over pretty awesome the first go. So it's kind of evolved since then. And, uh, you know, I, not that I'm an attention hog or anything, but I uh, I definitely love having fun with it. You're and, a showman with it, um, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I definitely get into it. I mean, to be honest with you, at the at a lot of the trials, I really get into getting the crowd involved. Because mm-hmm. I, I think like at the one nationals and then some of the trials, like, you know, there's some times where people get a little, you know, they made it, uh, they get a little bored doing obedience. Maybe they're not, you know, they're there, um, they're there to see the bite work. You know, there's, they're not the, uh, they're just someone that's coming to 
to check out a, maybe a family member or, you know, they don't compete themselves, but, um, you know, they came because whether it's a family member or, you know, want to check out something new in town or something. So I, you know, try to start to include the crowd a little bit and get a little bit of witty banner going on with people. And a lot of times I end up like running out in the crowd and like talking to the kids and playing with the kids and actually at the Tar Heel trial, it was pretty funny. They had a uh, a track meet next door, and then the kids were actually like screaming from the, screaming to the field while I was out there. Like, it's Deadpool! It's Deadpool! And I <laughs> ran over and took pictures with them. And then the cops end up coming over, and I thought they were like, you know, maybe freaking out because some dude's got a mask on. You know, with the yeah. current climate of the world right now, I, <laughs> I thought maybe they were getting a little, uh, yeah get a little worried or something but uh they come over and they're all like you know stiff and rigid and kind of seem all about business and they're like hey uh can we get a picture with you (laughs) (laughs) well because it's evolved right it's gone from you ordered a mask online to now that you have a whole bite suit that's wafer thin that is you you wear a full Deadpool suit Hmm. yeah the funny thing is when i got it i mean i told them to make it pretty thin i posted on facebook but I actually took all the padding out of the front and back. Yeah, I saw <laughs> so, that. So I could go a little, move, be a little bit more, com- a little bit more comfortable and, uh, yeah, streamline and move a little faster. Yeah, and now you can do backflips wearing your bite suit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> awesome. So then, talking about difficulty in level three, Janet, you're one of only two people, am I right? It's still just you and Jerry to get two dogs through the level three, two different dogs. Yep, that's correct. Amazing, huge achievement. I mean, for anyone even to get to the level three is amazing. Mm. And to get through twice with two different dogs, I think is uh, phenomenal. Huge. Yep. Let's go back to the start with you. And how did you end up coming into dogs? And how did you end up so good that you could get two dogs through that whole program? I started with, you know, in high school, I, I knew in my head that I wanted to go to college and be an elementary teacher. And I was a huge softball player got my softball scholarship, went to college. My parents moved out of state. I decided to move with them and was just going to switch colleges. And I started kind of having a little bit of fear of teaching and really the politics of the school and the, and the parents of the kids, you know, the lack of participation from mm-hmm. them and was just kind of debating on, I was stressing about my major really. And I had a dog that you know, I knew nothing really about dogs and I got a dog and tried to do everything right and watched Animal Planet and had to learn the hard <laughs> way that that was really not helpful at all. <laughs> um, but I tried. I yeah. tried to do what they what they said. Right. And just came across the idea of dog training. And back then it was dial up Internet and I was, you know, on Google or whatever it was at the time, mm-hmm. doing internet searches, looking for dog training schools, and came across Tar Heel. And my parents actually had moved to North Carolina. How long have Tar Heel been around now? Gosh, it's got to be at least 25, getting close to 30 years maybe. Wow. So I went to school there 17 years ago, and I it was still in the earlier stages, but definitely not. I wasn't in the first couple of years or so for sure. Mm-hmm. And then, so I decided, hey, you know what, as a teacher, I can always 
still do have a summer job. I can always teach obedience classes on the side. I was really intrigued by dog behavior and why my dog behaved so badly, even though I tried to do everything correct. And looked into Tar Heel, went to visit and decided, you know, I'm going to do this. And so I went to school there and I focused on obedience, behavior, also some search and rescue work. Mm -hmm. And then I did some obedience training on my own for a couple of years. And I kind of moved a little further away from Tar Heel for a little bit, moved back and got in touch with Jerry. And I said, listen, I really want to get more hands-on search and rescue. I want to come down and help um, do some search and rescue training. He said, come on down. My first day coming down to do a search and rescue work, he offered me a job and I took the job and did, you know, at that time was focusing on running the obedience program. Well, hold on. You were kennel type for a little bit. No, I wasn't. Oh. I just had kennel duties. Oh, she had kennel duties. Well, she (laughs) – I was actually going to school there. (laughs) Not long after I started. Yeah. So that's how you guys met, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, kind of. Oh, so you had a blossoming love through Tar Heel. Yeah. I actually – it's funny because I see pictures. Like there will be pictures where she'll be walking through the background while we're training like at the club and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, look at that. There's you. And, you know, fast forward several years later, who knew we were going to be together? But, uh, yeah, I used to watch her go by out my window, my dorm room window, while she was doing the the running of the dogs. Right. uh, That's – Got to get a video of that. Okay, so oh, well, you send one. us the video. Anyway. <laughs> you send us the video. We'll put it on Facebook. Right. The running of the dogs is pretty awesome. What's um, the running of so the yeah, dogs? I, so this is where we start I, turning the conversation into our Randy guest right now. <laughs> right. <laughs> it was our way of walking dogs without having to walk them. We'd run them. Right. <laughs> okay. By putting food in crates one by one, and because it was a good distance from the outside kennel area to kind of where that where we'd have put the dogs up so or some of the dogs so we kind of created came up with some creative idea to give ourselves some less walking <laughs> right. um, but it was entertaining to say the least because we team up and kind of have this you know little system going well if you can find a video send it to me from outside <laughs> they would sprint from outside across the we would pause training <laughs> Right. And then it run all the way from one side of the building at Tar Hill to the other side of the building. And these dogs, some of these dogs probably had zero training and, and they're just like flying through, coming from outside, flying through, making a turn, running to their kennel, like as fast as they can, just scrambling across the floor. And there'd be like, I don't know, probably like 30, 40 of them or something. I don't know. Maybe I'm exaggerating a little bit, but it was, it was, it was a lot, but it was pretty cool to see like, one dog, two dogs, <laughs> three. This is like come flying through. Anyway, so um, um, so Janet, you're working at Tar Heel for Jerry, and then one yep. day you run across this fluffy little Malinois. Yep. So mm-hmm. I really never was a fan of the idea of a Malinois puppy. You know, at this time there was this crazy fluffy puppy that every single one of us hated taking care of. We hated dealing with him, Jerry. One of his trips over to Europe, you know, from Euro Joe, which is a very well-known breeder, he tested a litter of puppies, picked two that he liked, brought them back, threw them in, you know, with a litter of Dutchie puppies that we had um, that were a couple of weeks younger. Our The Dutchie puppies were a couple of weeks younger. Mm-hmm. The one trainer that that morning, gosh, they usually got in from their trips with the dogs like middle of the night. And 
the trainer that opened that next morning you know, just goes to feed puppies and notices there's two Malinois in the group now. It's not all Dutchies. <laughs> and one latched onto her sweatshirt and she couldn't even pry the dog off. So he, she just had to let him rip a hole in her, the arm of her sweatshirt. And we get in, the rest of the trainers get in and she's like, who is that fuzzy dog? I hate him. Look what he did to my sweatshirt. And that was kind of his very first few hours at the building. Um, and that's pretty much how everything went for quite a while. Well, that wasn't Zuko. That was Leroy. Leroy. <laughs> he didn't have a name, Leroy. So he got called Leroy. Yeah. <laughs> and we hated him. He was, you couldn't walk him without getting bit, ripping your shirts. I mean, if he bit onto your shirt, there was no prying him off. You just had to kind of let him rip it unless wow, you were quick enough for, to get the choke up. For so many people, that sounds like a dream puppy. Yeah, right. Like so, people would walk across broken glasses to get a working dog like that. <laughs> so he would. You know, the pen that we had the puppies in, you know, sometimes we'd all go to lunch, we'd come back and we're like, all the Dutch Shepherd, all the Dutch Shepherd puppies were gone. We had to go round them up. We kind of started spying on them. Zuko would bend the pen wires, but him and his sister were were bigger, so they couldn't fit out, but all the Dutchies could fit out. (laughs) So we'd fix it and it was him doing it and he would just go nuts. But, you know, it's... Time went on and he was about nine months old and I was really seriously thinking about getting a dog for PSA and I thought, you know what, he's not a puppy. I really, he's ugly and I just don't love him. However, that probably means he's going to be really good at PSA. His drive is crazy and he's scared of nothing. So I kind of talked to Jerry and I was like, so you think he'll be good at PSA? He's like, yeah. And I was like, do you think he'll be good for a PSA 3? Not knowing at the time that that's a really stupid question to ask about a nine-month-old dog. (laughs) So Jerry's like, yeah, he'll be a good first dog. (laughs) And that was kind of his way of answering. But in my head, I was like, you know what? Again, at this time, Zuko didn't end up being an ugly dog. But at the time, especially at nine months old and that in-between coat, oh, he he was really ugly. And I was like, okay, looks don't matter. Looks don't matter. He's really good. Looks don't matter. So I'm, I'm going to get him. I'm just, this is it. And I was dead set on, you know, taking him to a PSA three. And it was just a lot of, a lot of dedication. Obviously I, I was in a good spot to, to learn a really good foundation for PSA. And, you know, it really went from there and I put a ton of time in. He was, he was a nice dog. And I never gave up, you know, and no matter what, even with the first dog, in some ways, I think I got lucky that I got a dog that that was good. In some ways, I think I just I never gave up on him Mm -hmm. and I never gave up on trying different things to get the results that I wanted, asking advice, talking to whoever I could, learning as much as I could. And really, one of the one of the tips I give people is in doing the sport, know your dog. You have to know your dog and you have to accept the dog that you have. Obviously, that's in with the exception of the dog being able to do PSA. Sure. I think that's, um, um, Janet, I think that's sound advice for anybody who's involved in training across the board. Doesn't matter who you are or what you're doing. Mm-hmm. The, I think the, yeah. the first thing that people should be encouraged to do is know as much about their dog as they possibly can. Even as the Greek philosopher Socrates said, know thyself. I often tell people where I'm training them, know thy dog. It's, uh, I know it's a little corny, but 
the reality is, is as much as you can learn about a dog, the better off you're going to be in whatever profession or even as a pet capacity. If you can learn as much about that dog as you possibly can, it sets up great foundations for you and that dog to have a common language between each other, to understand each other better, to develop proficiencies between each other and whatever you're trying to do. doesn't matter. Yeah. I mean, methods only go so far if you don't know the dog. That's right. If you're not able to read and adjust to what's best for the dog. Yeah. It's common for common phrase, train a dog in front of you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Exactly. And, you know, a big part is, and I've run into it a lot over the years um, in talking to people or helping people out in the sport, is, you know, you do have to accept your dog because, you know, you get in this Even if they're ugly. (laughs) Everybody sees a dog um, that maybe somebody else put a lot of time into and they want that dog Mm. or they see that dog, a dog for five minutes and they don't maybe see all the flaws that that dog has because all dogs have flaws. Yeah. And oh, that's the dog that they want. Well, you don't see the flaws. You don't see the whole picture. And if you start focusing on what all these other dogs are and not accept your own dog, like you're never going to get anywhere. Yeah. Well, five Um, minutes on a YouTube clip doesn't tell the whole story. It doesn't. It tells the story that you wanted to tell at the time. Only put on YouTube what... And they the show their success. Yeah, the success. Yeah, which right. is fair. People like I to understand. see the finished product. They don't like to watch a lot of yeah. That's what know, I always boring, say. And this, boring foundation. Okay. Yeah, and that's why so many dogs get broken because development videos are so boring to watch. No one posts them. All you post is right. videos of your right. finished dog, and then someone who's looking to learn goes, "Oh, that's what I do." Like, and, and I see that it makes me sick when I see people putting way too much pressure on a dog, and then saying, oh, well, the dog's weak. And the same dog, if it was just put on a little bit of pressure, a little Mm. bit of pressure, two years later can take as much as you can give. But that's so boring to watch and so boring to do that no one's putting out any free videos on how to do that. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if I I had – Jan and I were talking the other day – well, not the other day, I don't know, a month ago or something, we had a conversation. I was like, I never actually sat down and tried to figure out how many dogs I've probably actually worked and – I don't know. What do we say? I don't know. Well either. over a thousand or something like that. And like, I mean, if I had, you know, uh, to me, it wasn't boring per se, but to someone else, just the, you know, methodical foundation work you're doing with some of the dogs, no one's going to want to watch all that. Mm. But that's made me a way better trainer and decoy having all those experiences and taking my time. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Like you, just like a dog, have to have incremental experiences. There's a, there's a, I'm going to go ahead and say it was a viral video of you getting pumped by Garen that day. Well, I'll find that and put that on our Facebook page. But you could imagine something like that happening to someone's first day in the suit would be, (laughs) would probably be their last day in the suit. In the same way, like a dog facing that much pressure would never bite again. The video, you've seen that one, Glenn, haven't you, where he's meant to go, it's a level two. Where he flies into the height? Yeah, so instead of going around it, he just smashes through it. That is just incredible. (laughs) I've never seen a dog do anything like that in my life. Yeah. Well, that's Zuko. He's he's uh, out of Zuko as well. And all those, they all do crazy stuff. Danny, Garen, (laughs) they're always, they they always find the hardest way to do something. Um, (laughs) Well, except Zika. Zika's not that bad. She's, She's got Bika's. I think she's got Bika's brains. Head a little but, uh, yeah, I don't think anyone's ever called any of the Zuko puppies smart. No. 
so, Jant usually re- refers to them as having their Zuko moments. <laughs> so, so there's that, a good video of Zuko. Janet opens our screen door. It was, it was windy where we used to live. The wind used to come up the hill, and then, like, geez, I don't know, a couple times it has ripped ripped our front glass screen door off. Right. So Janet opens up the the main front door, and there's no longer a screen door there, and. Zuko's just waiting for the second door to be open and there's no door there. And she's like, go, go. And she like steps out and he's, he's like, he's like sticking his head out and he's like spinning. Like he's waiting for the door to come up. Yeah. That's Zuko. Awesome. Yeah. So you can imagine the, the fun in training him drive was not an issue, but getting him to focus and pay attention and piece everything together was, was a lot of work, mm-hmm. you know? But you did so it, and you got through the level three. So for people who don't know, the the level three in PSA, you have to pass it twice. You have to get both legs. Yeah. And there is no set scenario. Really, anything can happen along the way. Mm. Uh, the obedience could have bite work in it. It could be done in a muzzle. There could be jumps, tunnels. Anything that you, the judge can think of could, could happen. As speaking to yeah. two judges, can you think of a better way to describe it other than madness? No, it's really – it's your – Full obedience and four protection scenarios are 100% surprise. Controlled chaos. Um, so mm-hmm. you Sometimes it's controlled chaos. <laughs> yeah. If and I'm involved, it's not so controlled. Yeah. <laughs> One of the things people are, the competitors are getting better about picking up on or remembering on trial days. You know, PS, PSA as a whole is designed to make the handlers think as well. But that's especially true in PSA 3. There's a lot of work on the handler's part to know your – going back to knowing your dog. You have to know your dog's strengths. You have to know your dog's weaknesses. And going out and doing a PSA 3, you know, perfectly how it's written and all the pieces – your dog just following every piece to the T is just not going to happen. Mm. It's unlikely. So you have to know what your dog's good at to be able to, you know – help your dog succeed through the scenarios and yeah. the obedience routine. Which I think so makes that's it, one thing I, one of the things I enjoy about the sport, you yeah. know, it's hard and it, it's stressful at the time and it's scary at the time, but it's, it does make me work as a, as a handler too. Yeah. And it's, it's a competitor's game, right? Like it, exactly that knowing where the points are at and knowing what your dog's capable of and giving up some points somewhere to, to make sure you get them somewhere else and, all those sorts yep. of things makes it so challenging and you are competing. One of the things I love about PSA and the culture of it worldwide is developing that everybody's aware that they're competing against the game, not so much each other. And so everyone's super supportive because at those high levels, it's fucking madness. Anything can happen. And so people are so supportive of each other because you're competing against the the, the imagination of the judge really rather than the person who's who's going to be on the field after you. Yeah, you really got to come up with a, a good strategy and game plan in the level threes. And I think everybody, you're right. I mean, everybody, even in the be- beginning, all the levels as a whole, PSA is very supportive. The The people are supportive of each other. Mm. Yeah, it's and amazing club culture you, when you get everybody working together. Yeah, it's you go to I trials. I don't think you and, see anyone ever. I can't remember a time where someone was like mad because someone beat them. Yeah. Um, no, you know, even... And the, the bullshit you I sometimes mean. see at dog sport things with people clicking on the side of the field and that sort of thing, it doesn't happen, to my knowledge, in PSA anyway. 
No, I mean, sometimes certain clubs, clubs will sit together and such, but they're not doing it. You know, then they'll intermingle as well, but they root for each other. Mm. I mean, and there's the been threes. a couple bad apples here and there, but I mean, that's with anything. Yeah. Um, politics be politics. For, for, yeah. I mean, there's there's been a couple of times you get a couple of goofs doing some stupid stuff, you know, but we get I mean, we have PSA has blue collar people up to Ray. <laughs> Ray's a doctor, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's got a wide variety, but that's it is. And it's when you get to the upper levels, you get to the threes and it's hard. The hard part of showing the threes with other people is when you have to go back to back because everybody wants to watch each other. Yeah. They're like, oh, I don't want to go get my dog because I really want to watch you or you want to watch that person. So that it is it is cool. And everybody, you know, a lot of times now that you get more handlers in the three, sometimes they'll strategize together. Mm -hmm. You know, they'll help each other out. So it's not a. It's competitive but supportive, thing, right? It's, yeah, and you, and you actually like the especially like open field or you know in some cases if you're able to go a couple of days even before the trial, you'll see people from different clubs gathering and helping each other. Yeah, like yeah. there's no like secrets or anything like that. I mean, I'm not gonna say there's no one's done. That. I mean, I can't say no one has done that, but for the most part, I mean, everyone's doing their best to help each other and you know making a combined effort for the greater good of everyone mm-hmm. and it's pretty cool i mean yeah, it's awesome i i look forward to especially nationals every year seeing everyone in psa but I, I i love to travel and see all my psa friends wherever we go well and that's that's my segue speaking of travel so you guys have been lucky enough or unfortunate enough or however you want to look at it to be charged with helping me get PSA going in in Australia. <laughs> so PSA is taking off. It's, it's it's spreading all over the world. There's clubs through Asia now, in Ireland, here in Australia. Where else have I missed? There's, it's happening all over the place. South Africa. South Africa. So it's happening all over the place and it's a growing India. sport. India. India. Yeah, yeah. And they're doing really well, like really well. Yeah, they are. Considering... Actually, the one guy, he just... I think he's at Tar Heel right now too. Oh yeah, I can't remember his name, okay. but um, Bunty like on Facebook. Bun, bun, yeah, Bunty yeah, yeah. Trainer. Yeah, yeah. So he's at Tar Heel right now. Awesome. And but so yeah, the sport's um, growing all over the world. I think you're doing world. a great job, Pat. Well, I'm trying my best. So you guys have been charged with helping me get it done, and and Sean, you've been here twice. Janet came with you last time. Unfortunately, can't come this time because I picked the trial date at a terrible time. It's inconvenient for you, but you. <laughs> Sean's coming back in a couple of weeks. What are the dates <clears throat> that we're holding a seminar out here at Pet Resorts in Jural on the, what is it, the 2nd and 3rd of June? Let me look at my calendar here. Yes, yeah, 2nd yeah, and 3rd of June. I think it's 2nd and 3rd of June are, is going to be uh, – Like an information you know, seminar? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I don't – well, uh, you know, last year Janet spent like a good half a day going over lecture. I think I'm going to probably go over everything as well, but maybe – a little bit more quickly and then kind of i like to get hands-on pretty quickly so mm-hmm. we're going to uh segue into training not training scenarios but learning to train elements of scenarios yep yeah so it'll be two days of uh learning about psa and learning how to train for it properly instead of you know a lot of people make the mistake of training or practicing the scenario yeah and that's not that's the best thing about PSA is like again you you you're you're going towards a surprise right you you know the the PDC and the one you have a a set regimented healing pattern but ultimately you're going to be going 
to something that's totally unknown. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you should start off with that. You're going to do better in the long run and just in your normal in your, in your normal uh, PDC and PSA one in the twos, you'll do better anyway. Yeah. So we'll learn how to train elements of everything. Yeah. Throw a little bit of uh, decoy work in there and try everybody, try to get everybody on the right path. And then uh, what the, that Monday and Tuesday afterwards will be the decoy camp slash certification. Yep. So and hang on, then, let me talk about the seminar just a little bit more. So we're trying like the goal with this is the, here's the shameless plug is that, I'm really trying as hard as I can to get this game growing in Australia as much as possible. And we want as many people to come and learn the sport. So it's not, if you're, there's, there's lots of people that don't go to seminars because they know how to train dogs and whatever. It's not really about that. This is about learn the sport and how to train for the sport. Yeah. I mean, I can guarantee people are one are going to have a, a good time. I think most people will, uh, that have been to any seminar Jan and I have, or have done, I, I like to think I'm fun to, to hang out with and uh, and I think I help. No, we I had like an awesome teaching. time. I like teaching time. a lot and I yeah. think that people will, uh, will have a really good time. And, and we want to have we'll a fun day. We're, a, we're only charging people 100 bucks. We're going to put on lunch. You're coming all the way from America. It's just going to be a fun day of dog, fun couple of days of dog training and, and learning about the sport. Before yeah. then and last the, time Sean was here, like you're relatively unknown to most people here. You've developed a, a friendship with a lot of people in Australia now just from you you and Janet coming over. You brought your daughter over as well. But coming away from that, everybody was saying what a cool bunch of guys you are, how much fun you were, how many laughs I had with you. And I found it exactly the same way. You know, we, we developed a, an extended family getting to know you guys. It was really cool. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yes, I'm bummed I won't be there this year. <laughs> <laughs> we need to co-ord further into next the future time. for next year. <laughs> yeah. So then on the Monday and Tuesday, we're doing a decoy training slash certification day, right? Yeah. That is going to be exciting and that's getting people ready for hopefully get a couple of people through. There's still spots available for that. The tricky part is you need a bite suit and you need a dog that can target well that we can use and it doesn't have to be your dog. Someone else can come and handle the dog. That's fine. But we're going to try and get some people qualified as decoys so that we have them for the following weekend when we're going to do a trial. So yeah, I mean, the, anyone could come out. Like, what Scott had like little to like no experience. Literally, he, never worn a suit like, Never done bite weight before. Being like one of the top guys. Yeah. Right. Literally, he never worn awesome. a suit before. But you know Just, what? Uh, yeah. He's athletic. He takes instruction, and he's not yeah. scared of dogs. That's a, That's what I always tell people: the three criteria. If you if you're reasonably fit, can can understand what people are telling you to do, and don't close your eyes right. and flinch when a dog's coming in to bite you. You'll get through. It'll be fine. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the best thing I could tell people that want to come, I mean, I encourage anyone to come out. Even if even if you're not going to certify, it's good to come to a, go to a camp and you'll be better prepared for it next time. Yeah. And the best thing I could tell someone at this point, you know, three weeks away is just do your best to get in shape because once you're, you know, if you're tired, it's hard to concentrate. It's hard to focus on technique. And if you're in re- relatively good shape, you'll be able to concentrate better on the technique and, you know, hear what I'm saying. And the the, the things won't affect you as, yeah. as much as, as if, you know, if you were in good shape. So yeah, for sure. um, the I would, you I would be, recommend people just be. do sprints. A lot of get in your bite suit, do some sprints. Lay down, get up, rinse and repeat. <laughs> yeah. Just, uh, yeah, lay down, get up, sprint, and do it all over again. Yeah, good, do good it, advice. Do it, till you puke, do it till you puke, 
and then uh, you know, then you can take a break. <laughs> that's, that's really that's usually, encouraging people to get on this now. I have now a good friend that's, uh, <laughs> you know, his motto. He he goes and when he exercises uh, any kind of cardio, he goes until he throws up at least just a little bit, and then <laughs> he, then he knows he worked hard enough. Yeah, that's it's that's your body telling you it's time to stop. Right. Um, <laughs> stop when organs start coming out. But right. it's a it's a good time. It's hard, but it it's totally satisfying. I'm, I you know I went over to the states to do mine, and it was a, an amazing time. And everybody that was here last time, even though we only had two guys get through, everyone had a great time, learned heaps, and they all stick together because it's that shared suffering. It's because it's fucking hard. It, it, it's oh yeah yeah, and it's everyone cheers each other on, and yeah, it's a I good get time. excited when I see people. I see people like putting their heart into it, just like any other sport, like you know, not dog sport, just any other kind of sport, like. You know, you, you see your teammates out there just busting their butt and everyone's going to cheer you on. And, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, I mean, poor Pat was doing his with like broken back, broken hip, <laughs> <laughs> fractured femur. I strapped know. up underneath just about, it. Just about everything. <laughs> I, I was messaging Pat during that time when he was over in the States and I'm saying, how's it going? And he's going, oh, mate, it's it's so much harder than I thought. He goes, I, I just don't know if I'm going to pass or not. He goes, I'm absolutely shattered. I'm sitting in my room. I'm just thinking, like, I've come all this way and I'm not going to get through it. Well, you know what was happening? Well, you know, you, he did. I did, did like, terribly on the they, first oh, day. I'm sorry, we keep cutting. Yeah, you were filming from your drone and I did terribly on that first day because I was just in my own head. I was overthinking it. And then I was, you were Facebook living, and then I went back to my hotel room and I was watching the videos Facebook living. But you know, it records audio from the hands. So the drone's over and I'm, you know, 50 meters away from everybody, but all their audio is being recorded. And so you can hear people. It was really depressing. You hear people go, oh, he fucked that. that that's terrible. That's terrible. No, that you, that you, guy's uh, shit. You and Jeff Allen made like huge strides just overnight. Like you're, uh, yeah. You I should, got a pep you, talk. You improved so much. But you know what it was for me was I was in my own head because the – the way you, the way it was taught, I was trying to enact all those things. When in reality, if you catch nicely and present correctly, those things kind of just happen. And I was thinking, plant my foot, spin around, like do this, do that, and it was. I became mechanical. And then when I realised watching those videos, I was like, oh, this looks like a robot that's been sent to catch dogs. <laughs> and then I just <laughs> let it let it happen naturally the next day. And Thank fuck I got through. But in my head, I was legit just turning up for a high five and a handshake and be told, congratulations, here, you're a certified decoy now. And I was like, oh, no. And then, you know, I was staying with all the Canadian guys at the hotel and they're all super fit and telling me about how hard they've been training and all this. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm and they're, you know, in their early 20s. And I'm like, I'm 34. I got a broken back, three bolts of this. So there's fucking no chance. But we got through, so not to scare everyone away, but uh, it's happening here the Monday and Tuesday, 4th and 5th. Um, put your hand up, send us a message, get involved, send me an email, get involved in it if you can. And if you've got a dog that you want to come and use, even if you have no interest in certifying as a decoy, if you've got a dog we can use, it's free bites for your dog all day. So please get in touch as well and help us do that. Well, that's a good thing too to inspire other people is that you're like four-fifths at the edge of thinking, oh, fuck this, I'm not going to get through. Mm. And 
you pulled it together and and made it happen. So just barely. and and the fact that you do legitimately have uh, a broken back. Mm. What's well, not currently broken, but it has been broken, and you've recovered from that with all the injuries that you've got, and you still managed to pull it through. It's still broken. It's never going to heal. The bones will never touch. Okay. Well, there we go. It's, <laughs> it's some info. Anyway, enough on that. But mm. well, people need to come out just to, to witness the uh, to support has become the first female. PSA decoy in Australia. In Australia. Yeah, no pressure, Jazz. <laughs> no pressure. But yeah, None so at all. Jazz is training her ass off. She's running around in a suit. She's dragging tires around. She's doing a sprint. She's she's doing everything. So I'm really hoping that it goes well for her and she gets through. My my only concern is that she gets injured beforehand from training so hard because she trains till well, she pukes. Like tell her to take a break. <laughs> yeah, she's on the wind down now. But no, and then we're trialing the following weekend. So that's going to be that's super exciting. And and again, open trial. Everybody's welcome. If you if you want to have a crack at these sports you're welcome to come out and do the pdc the website for psa is psak9.org it's got the whole rule book there the pdc is designed to be passed by a dog with not too much work right so i mean two judges can probably say it better than me but the healing doesn't even have to be focused healing it's really a loose leash walk will get you through so if you haven't if you're not that far into your training you can still have a crack at this and, and if there's one thing I can mention, there's also a sleeve division. Yeah, yeah. so it hasn't been on a suit. Yeah. So there's a sleeve division, but the PDC sleeve division and just PDC. If you do Mondio, you know, say you're say you have Mondio one, or you know, do Ring IPO, whatever. If you you know, if you dog, if your dog's doing those programs, more than likely you'll do fine do in a PDC. Yeah. So if you're in another program, don't, don't feel like you can't do this because you. Definitely can. We have uh, we have several people, um, not several, a lot. There's been a, a lot of people over the years, more so this past year, crossing over from other sports, French ring, French ring, and IPO mostly. Yeah. But um, and, and they're talking, doing they're doing great. I was trying to convince some IPO guys a couple of days ago and explaining that there's nothing in the program that would damage your IPO. So even if you've got your IPO one, you're going for your two or whatever like that, doing a PDC won't cause you any problems you, you could do both n- right. no problems at all and it's not going to impact your ipo negatively in any way shape or form no i mean you do the um you can, if again if they want to they they can do a uh, sleeve division of the uh, pdc and mm-hmm. yeah it's okay. not going to screw up any of their training yeah awesome so that's our our big plug after talking to you guys <laughs> that's our plug for that event that's coming up because i really I, I know we're, we've got people listening all over the world. We're in 40-something countries now. So if PSA is not in your country, check it out. And the PSA headquarters, in my experience, could not possibly be more supportive of exporting the game and getting it everywhere. If you are in a country that has PSA available, look it up. The clubs are all the clubs are all listed on the website, psak9.org, and you can check out where there's a club near you and get involved. Or there's very simple instructions on how to start a club and get one going. Even when Sean and Janet came over, they weren't doing it on a financial basis. They were actually just doing it to back the uh, club and the yeah, sport. That's, that's funny. Right. I was just going to say that too. Yeah, yeah we don't – I'm using my own leave from the police department i'm not i'm not doing this making any money you know obviously you guys fly me over and no but me, you give up your time and giving your away home your home and feed me and all that stuff but uh, you know your expenses I'm not, I'm not are covered a paycheck you from know, this i'm right. doing it for doing it for the love of the sport and doing it for uh quite frankly i love you australians so <laughs> <laughs> well we love you it's a big bromance <laughs> And um, the fact right. that you wore a flat cap the other day was ultra impressive. Yeah, flat cap as Deadpool. As Deadpool. Even better. Right. 
Um, <laughs> yeah, but, I just actually got that flat cap. Flat Cap Friday. Nice new one I'm going to wear with me, yeah. Okay, so you you do know now that Flat Cap Friday is officially in rule. Yep. It's Flat Cap season. We're coming into winter. Yeah, You're allowed winter. to wear it or required to wear it on Fridays. Yeah, that's right. But no, Good the point go. is, it's a growing sport. Everybody should get involved in it if you can. And if you if you're around in Sydney, you should definitely get involved. And if you want to start a club somewhere else, it's so easy. I hear from people saying, "Oh, when's PSA going to come to X part of Australia?" And I say, "When as, you start it, as the moment you want it to, it's ready to come. Yeah, you just, you need, just to need get three online. people to be a club. That's right. Yeah. yeah, get three people together, and they say, "Oh, we don't have a decoy." It's like, well, you don't need one to start with. You just need to start training and. The, the support is there. People will come and support you. I will come and do whatever I can. And then at least yearly, we're bringing out someone like you guys to to help us get it going. And it's for me and, and for Glenn as well, it's a passion project for us. Like we, you know, it, it's the same at, for you guys, Janet, like in your day to day, it's a pet dog business mostly, right? And so Correct. getting mm. to do some high level stuff with your personal dog, mm. we're exact, in exactly the same position. Most of the time we're dealing with pets and being able to do some really impressive high drive stuff of your own, it keeps, I think it keeps your training passion alive. And it that's, does. that's why I'm, that's why I'm involved in it because I can then, you know, keep the passion for doing dogs in a way that, you know, cause sometimes it can be hard work training people's pets and go but through the same thing but, over and over and over. But you know what? It's not only that it's the, the level of stimulus control required for PSA is, is huge, quite high. It's yeah. huge, yeah. And I mean, even the things that I've learned with Randy during that time, and it's been so beneficial for him. I often tell people in many applications that he's the dog that most people would want to get rid of yeah. because he's so high drive, he's so energetic, he's so boisterous. Right. However, I shot a little video, I don't know if you've seen it, Sean and Janet, where he's doing a drop stay. Yeah, I saw and, that. And uh, yeah. Pat and Jazz and uh, Scotty. Scotty are running around trying to get him to break. Now, look, I'm going to be honest here. I'm going to hand on my heart. I'm going to say in front of everybody that there were a couple more takes before that where he did break. <laughs> I'm going to be. I'm going to be honest. But uh, and I, of course, I showed the best one. However, I was really proud of him because he held his position. He was put under a lot of stress. And the whole time, one of the things which I really wanted people to focus on in that video is is not just the work that we've been doing as a club together, but how much Randy was enjoying it. Like he's sitting there, like his tail was wagging so much, it nearly burst off his body. He was just having a ball. He absolutely right, loves it. Because he knows it. there's a release coming soon. Correct. Yeah, but he now, loves again, it. Again, it's one of those things that just didn't, you didn't start there. You yeah. progressed to Correct. it. Correct. Exactly. And mm. he knows from experience that, his reward's coming very Good soon. He just happen. has to be patient. That's right. These dogs, you know, I, I talked about, you know, Danny specifically, just, I would say, on well, not super recent, but more recent last couple of years, how with this high drive, strong dogs, once you start pushing them, they need such a high level of stimulus to get satisfied. Mm. You know, like if I... To, if I just spent a couple months doing PDC level stuff with him, he'd get bored. He would yeah. not enjoy himself. So he needs the challenge to think and make decisions and follow. I mean, not just bite work wise, but in the, on the control side. And that's, he, that gives him some satisfaction. It gives him a little bit more complacement or, you know, he's, he's much calmer. It's right? great bond development. It's, uh, it's absolutely essential yeah. for building that trust and development between you and your own dog. Yeah. It's well, one thing that I found. Well, the other thing that it's is just well, like a bite sleeve. Like if you don't have something that's challenging enough for the dog, obviously not too hard, hmm. but something that's 
it needs to be challenging or else they're not going to progress and they're not going to be satisfied. So, you know, same thing for obedience. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the thing I'd say about the, our club and just clubs in general as well. So we just had Jay Jack here doing his, his new sport, the GRC dog sports. And it has an SR test, a social responsibility test, which has actually turned out to be a way harder test than I think a lot of people anticipated. Yeah. I watched that. And I I think that sports kind of, I, I think it's uh, pretty creative of him to uh, yeah. you know, put the obedience into that whole uh, yeah, and uh, it's, pulling. It's, yeah, exactly. Mm. So it's calm obedience. Like it's you got to teach, like prove your dog can keep his shit together, basically. But there's only prior to him coming here, there's they've got dozens and dozens of people that have attempted it, and only three people. Uh, only seven people, I think, have passed in the States and three people passed here. It's the most successful trial they've had. And there's no surprises that they were all people from our PSA club. And they weren't their PSA dogs. They were their pet dog. But the the, the picture is similar. It's stimulus control. They, they're people who know how to train stimulus control into their dog. And they're, right. they're well practiced at that from doing their PSA dogs. And then the, the crossover there is to their pets. So not to take anything away from people who, who didn't get through it, but the the only three people that did are all in our PSA club, mm. and they're not PSA dogs. Like you know, the, <laughs> I was laughing. There's no way on earth my actual uh, Remy would get through that test. Cause, but but it's not the program he's in. He hasn't learned a lot of those behaviours. Mm. But but my pet dog ha- can could do it. Before we continue on, there's just one caveat I want to discuss with us amongst a group because I'm sure there's other points of reference here as well because people have questioned me about the safety aspect of dogs involved in bite sport they've Mm -hmm. said is it safe you know are you teaching dogs to be aggressive my answer to that is no we're teaching dogs to be more responsible more responsive to the handler the flip side of that is a pet dog who decides itself how to deal with the situation that it's placed in and also the owner of that pet dog doesn't actually understand the signs and symptoms of how their dog's feeling at that point in time so to simplify it, what I'm saying is that you're more likely to, 10 times more likely to be bitten by somebody's pet dog than you are with a dog that's involved in bite sports. Yeah, 100%. Oh, by far, most of the dogs, the temperament that we're looking for with these, again, I do the same testing for a police dog as I would do for a sport dog. They're it's the same temperament. We want something that's going to be calm and confident, and you're teaching the dogs these they're already social Mm. you're not teaching these dogs just to go crazy and start biting everything that moves and they're not going to be like this vicious thing that wants to lash out everything again there's a purpose behind a dog that has a Mm. yeah it's purpose um, derived most of our dogs well especially uh, zuko they're They're all really just extremely social they're so they're exposed to so many things they're they're learned that control so you know so early on that there's really not much they're phased by. Mm. Yeah. Like I said, the level of stimulus control required for dogs in many of these sports and all sports, the IPOs, the Mondios, French Rings, PSA, they all have their element of beauty. They all have their element of high level control with the dogs. They're absolutely fantastic. And I mean, the, the dedication between handler, trainer, dog and club is essentially creating the ultimate dog. In you know, mind. and I had... It's PSA three is now people are seeing it as doable. You know, back when I was doing my three with Zuko, it was still people who didn't think, you know, hey, it's like you're set up to fail. This is it's dumb. You're asking too much. It's not fair. 
I, you know, once had somebody, you know, somebody was pretty involved in IPO, also, you know, police dog training, say, well, you know, if I have somebody yelling and charging and screaming at my dog, I want them to bite. And I was like, no, actually, if it's some kid that doesn't know better, I don't want my dog to bite. So I'm very happy that my dog has this kind of control. Mm, So because you don't know how often that kind of stuff happens. Yeah. But now, you know, nowadays people are seeing it's, you know, the training has stepped up and people have learned how to manage that balance because yes, your, your control has to be very high, but the dogs also handle an, an awful lot of pressure and bite work yep. and they have to, they have to make it through that side as well, not just the obedience. So to have that balance is, is definitely challenging, but for absolutely the stimulus control is, is important even in your everyday life. Yeah. I mean, for me, for police work, for me, for police work, you know, you're going to hear some cop say something dumb, like, Oh, they came up. I'm going to, you know, I just let them bite and blah, blah, blah. Or I want my dog, you know, outwardly focused. Well, I've been in many situations where I would would have loved to have them bite someone acting like an idiot, you know, coming up screaming at me. They're trying to get bit because, they're just acting like a goof. They're trying to get um, paid. Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, trying to get a paycheck or whatever the case may be. You know, I've, <laughs> I've been around the block and, uh, you know, been there, done that. And I know uh, I, I know where, where their mindset is. And being able to tell Stewie to, uh, you know, give me attention, look into my eyes, uh, you know, staring at my face while he's being distracted or he's not being uh, distracted by all these people running up. You know, not a riot per se, but, you know, a a, a pretty belligerent crowd. They're not attacking me. Mm. However, they're trying to provoke me, trying to provoke him. Having him sit there in an attention heel, that definitely comes in handy. Uh, I've seen plenty of police dog handlers with their dogs out of control. And it just, to me, it it looks horrible. Well, I've seen plenty of public Um, that do the same thing, Sean. The difference between uh, that... The situation you're talking about in in any other given situation is that a dog instinctively knows how to bite. doesn't mean it will bite, but it knows how to do it. The difference between a well-developed sport such as one that we're involved in is the dog is waiting for a permissive cue before it decides to do it. So it's checking in with the owner to say, should I be doing this? You're just going about your business. The dog goes, guess not. The boss hasn't given the cue. Whereas a normal pet dog doesn't have that understanding, doesn't have that bond with the owner where right. it's it's checking in. It's basically saying, I feel threatened. I'm not sure what's going on here. I've, if I can't run away because I'm attached to a leash, maybe I need to uh, lash out. So it's forced into that fight or flight situation. Yeah. I just think, Sean, you're a very good example of it because you're able to compete in the sport with a real patrol dog. Mm, and there's so – like because I just can't stand when people say, oh, that's sport, that's patrol, like there's a difference, blah, blah, blah. There's not. Control is control and you should have it no matter yeah. what. Yeah, which is why PSA was developed essentially, uh, developed to allow people to attend in a sport but also go off and work with the dog straight away. Yeah. All right. Well, guys, we're running out of time. Thank you very much for coming on and having a chat with us. Sean and Janet, thank you for your help in everything in, in everything you've done here and getting the game going that I really want to want to participate in. And Sean, we'll see you in a few weeks. So Janet, your business is Stateline Canine. And how do people, can they get in contact with you? Can you train people's dogs? What, yep. What's the story? Yes, StatelineK9.com. I have a Facebook page, also Stateline Canine. Which, which there's one of Sean doing hilarious skit running around as Deadpool talking about how many, <laughs> there's so much room for activities. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> oh, soon we should have the 
the real finished product of the the new facility up. So I'm I'm excited um, to be able to take in and offer a lot more services mm-hmm. where you have a lot of space um, for activities. We're going to have good trainers. Yep, a lot of space for activities. <laughs> dorm rooms, <laughs> dorm rooms for students. Awesome. Oh, that's cool. So statelinecanine.com, people can get in contact with you there. If you want to get in contact with Sean, just do something naughty in Baltimore because he's a cop, he'll come and find you. (laughs) 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 And that's it. Thanks, guys, for coming on. That's it for another episode of the Canine Paradigm. As always, if you like what you're hearing, please tell a friend, get online, rate, like, subscribe through whatever service you're downloading us from. Uh, And if you want to get in contact with us, you can do that via Facebook's the best way. We are the Canine Paradigm on Facebook as well as Instagram. And that's it. Glenn, music please. <laughs>